This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. I'm John Dankosky. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. Thanks for joining us. We're in the middle of the hottest period in human history. The West is burning and the seas are rising, and Connecticut is entering drought conditions. Each week, another tropical storm or two threatens the coastline. And according to a new lawsuit filed by Connecticut against Exxon, the huge oil company knew it was coming. State Attorney General William Tong filed the suit last week, saying that Exxon sold lies about climate science. Connecticut now joins more than a dozen other states, cities, and counties that are suing big oil. Tong joined me to talk about this lawsuit and also about a coalition of states he's joined to try to rein in price gouging by online retailers during the pandemic. I asked him first, why file the suit against Exxon right now? Well, because um, because of Tropical Storm Isaias, frankly, um, that was the final punctuation uh, on our effort to develop a case to confront climate change. The extreme weather that we experience here in Connecticut, um, you know, almost, you know, a million people out of power for days and days and um, the extreme damage to not just the coastline, but across the state, you know, including the interior of the state, big trees down and um, roadways blocked and, and people without access to health care and um, work and jobs and family. Um, and then just a, a couple weeks later, the aftershocks of Hurricane Linda touched down. And I, I had to drive through North Haven on the way home from Hartford to Fairfield. It took me two and a half hours because it Tornadoes touched down in Connecticut. I, I was born and raised in Connecticut. You know, tornado was not a part of our lexicon when I was growing up. And, and we know that rainstorms, for example, are much more extreme now. It's not a day-long sort of wet day drizzle. They're these short bursts of extreme water that, um, you know, seep into our roofs and, and, and flood our basements. So we see it here. You don't have to go west to see the wildfires um, you don't have to go to the polar ice caps. Um, you don't even have to go to the shoreline to know that that extreme weather events are part of our life now. And and I think most of us believe and know based on the science that it's due to climate change. So I, when I became attorney general, I said to our environment department, this is an existential threat to humanity, to our health, our communities, our infrastructure, our food supply. And I want you to I want you to see what we can do about it. And it took it took just about two years to develop it. And um, our case, though, is, is very straightforward. Exxon knew. It knew more than everybody else. It developed the climate science over almost 70 years, and then it affirmatively lied about it. It engaged in a campaign, a decades-long campaign of deception to convince all of us that climate change, you know, at best, from their perspective, is unsettled. The science is unsettled. But they went much further than that. They convinced us that, um, you know, it really wasn't a problem. Um, the effects were overstated, um, that what was happening with our weather and our, our temperatures and sea level rise wasn't due to the climate, wasn't due to fossil fuel emissions. And um, they went on this campaign to convince the American people not to take action right? Let's not engage um, with renewables and develop climate science so that we can better understand how to protect ourselves. Not, let's not adopt uh, um, solar and wind and, and geothermal 
so they could sell more gasoline. And and that's a pretty straightforward case. And let me just close by saying then when public opinion really, really shifted on them, right? And it became really hard from a factual and scientific perspective to completely deny the fact of climate change. Then they started to engage in another campaign of deception where they said, oh, no, wait, ExxonMobil is investing in the energy sources of tomorrow, including green algae. You see these biofuel commercials they run like during the Super Bowl, right? Except they're not really investing in those technologies. It's a very minuscule commitment by the company. And we regard that as greenwashing, right? They're trying to deceive us again by saying, oh, no, we've become this climate friendly company when in fact they haven't so that regulators like me and law enforcement like me don't take action against them and they can sell more gasoline. So at the end of the day, Exxon knew and they lied and that's why I'm suing them. So I want to get into some of the details about what we what we know that they knew over the 70 year period. But, but before I do that, one of the things that the oil companies say, and frankly, a lot of companies say whenever a lawsuit like this is filed is, all right, Try to prove how Hurricane Esaias and all the damage that you want to recoup money for for the state of Connecticut is caused specifically by what you allege that we did. How exactly do you figure out Uh, how to make that case? So I don't have to prove that. And that's why Connecticut's case, you mentioned 12 other states and cities and towns across the country. Connecticut's case is different. Um, And in many ways, Connecticut's case is the strongest because it's a consumer protection action. And it looks most like the big tobacco litigation investigations of almost 20 years ago, which produced the largest ever settlement in American history, which pays Connecticut still last year $128 million a year. Now, 20 years later, we still get that amount of money from one of the biggest and baddest industries on earth, right? Big tobacco is just that big and just that powerful. And at the end of the day, um, what Big Tobacco did was they deceived people about the effects of smoking, and they tried to get young people to smoke. And in the in the same way, similar way, um, Big Oil and ExxonMobil are actively trying to deceive people about the fact uh, and the effects of climate change and um, the role of fossil fuels in climate change. And that's what I have to prove. I have to prove the deception. I have to prove um, the the deceptive acts and practices. That's what these laws are known as, unfair and deceptive acts and practices laws. Every state has one. And Connecticut's law is known as the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act, which is the basic building block of our consumer protection authority here in Connecticut. And Connecticut's law is particularly strong. And, And the reason why it's strong is because the state is not limited by time. So in other states, statutes of limitations complicate the ability of the state to tell the whole story. I don't have that restriction. I can go all the way back to 1950 and tell the complete story about how ExxonMobil began to recognize the, the changing climate, the warming temperature, the rising seas, how they invested time, science, scientists, right? Corporate resources and understanding it because it affected their company, right? If you want to drill in the ocean, you need to know about sea level rise. And then I can tell the story about how in 1988 and thereabouts, they just did a hard right turn and said, you know what, we're just going to, 
we're just going to cover the whole thing up and we're going to convince the American people and people across Connecticut that's not that big a deal. And so that's what I have to prove, right? Uh, and 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 that is a much more linear and straightforward case to demonstrate. Could you lay out for our listeners some of what we know, documents, records that you've uncovered that you will be able to use to say, here is how we know that Exxon knew about it and decided to lie? So these um, are documents that are actually already in the public domain. And um, I expect that we will use um, our authority and the discovery process to uncover even more. But uh, we already know that leading Exxon scientists going back to the 50s um, were tasked with understanding the climate and, and the changing climate and the effect of fossil fuel emissions on the climate. And um, over time, they wrote memos, internal and external, okay, that are in the public domain. But they also did presentations. You know, they, they were ExxonMobil scientists who were out there, uh, you know, for example, in front of groups like the American Petroleum Institute giving talks about it, right? I mean, this was of great interest to the industry, like any other industry, the science around it. And so it made perfect sense for Exxon to be out there as a leader, ExxonMobil, to be educating themselves and, and, and their colleagues about the effects of climate change and climate science. The, the memos became more and more alarming and more and more concerned, um, you know, in the mid to late 70s. And, and you can see that internal corporate memos by scientists at Exxon talking about, well, this is, this is becoming a real problem. And we have sustained increases in temperature and sea level rise over a long period of time that we haven't seen before in history. We ought to address this. And I think it's at that time, I, you know, as a kid in school, we started to hear about global warming just about that time. And we call that, if you remember, John, global warming, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't called climate change then. But it was this idea that, that the ozone layer had a hole in it, right? And something was happening and that this was a problem. But um, I don't think it had reached a point where people thought it was yet an existential crisis, right? That it was something that was bad. We had to deal with it. Um, and we talked about it a lot. Then 1988, hard stop. There are corporate memos and marketing plans and strategy documents that affirmatively decide at ExxonMobil, we have to muddy the water here. Mm -hmm. We've got to go out there and demonstrate that, that the science is not settled on climate change. And we have to use all of our vast uh, corporate resources, public relations campaigns, advertising to demonstrate that the threat of climate change is either not real or it's a hoax, or um, it is um, not as damaging as people think it's going to be. And that happened on, as you know, in these corporate campaigns, multiple channels, right? So, so for example, uh, I'm getting I'm getting criticized right now through Exxon Mobil channels, right? And so, on the internet, if you you don't have to look very hard, they're criticizing us for the filing of this lawsuit that you know it won't solve climate change. Well, of course it won't solve climate change. You know, I, none of us, no single person or office or state government, frankly, can solve climate change on their own, but it will help. 
and it will help stop this campaign of deception. So they're they're still doing it. And and that my mom, uh, sorry, mom, my mom from 70 this year. And and that and and so she was born in 1950. And that's how I put this in perspective. For all of 70 years and my mother's entire life, uh ExxonMobil knew and and they really I think probably understand it better than than most, if not anybody, right? Because they have the resources to dig into it, and they affirmatively chose to lie about it. Hmm. Is it just Exxon? It's not just Exxon, but Exxon Mobil is the biggest, baddest, toughest, leading company in this space. Um, we have the most um, readily available information on Exxon. Um, today, and you know, we, we made a decision that it made sense for Connecticut based on uh, our claims uh, under the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act that it made sense to lodge a, a very s- straightforward case. You know, it, it's a consumer protection case, one defendant, one claim. So you liken this, and it has been likened to the tobacco uh, settlement. One of the criticisms of that tobacco settlement, which has as you say, gotten Connecticut millions and millions and millions of dollars over all these years is that we get the money and then we actually have not done any of the things with the money that we were supposed to have done with the money, right? So we didn't spend it on trying to keep kids from smoking in the way that I think we said we would up front. We stole a lot of that money to go into the general fund. You know the story in Connecticut. So the question is, if we get a big settlement here, what exactly are we going to do with the money? So that's fair and unfair. Um, the fact is, is that, yes, it was a huge shock to me when I got the email last year in my first year as attorney general. Oh, by the way, $128 million just came in, was deposited in the bank account. Sweet. Uh, right, 20 <laughs> years later. I mean, I had to look two or three times on the email, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I think that... It's not fair to say that we haven't used that money to focus on smoking and public health. We, we clearly have. And smoking has been cut by half over that period. Smoking used to be ubiquitous. You used to be able to smoke in the, um, in, in the house chamber, for example, or on an airplane. Um, kids today don't remember that. And, and youth smoking is, is uh, much diminished, although youth vaping is now another issue that I'm dealing with. But you're right that a lot of that money went into and does go into the general fund and you know a good and fair argument is that a lot of that money does go towards public health broadly right and the costs of smoking um and the poor health effects of it on on the healthcare system broadly but that's broad and diffuse right and we're having the same debate not just with respect to what happens if I recover a large sum of money from ExxonMobil, but what happens when I recover a large sum of money from opioid manufacturers and distributors and retailers, right? Um, And there are bills in the General Assembly to say, if Attorney General Tong recovers millions upon millions of dollars, which I expect to do, um, we're gonna focus that on addiction science treatment and prevention. I think those are fair questions to ask. And I think if, we're at the beginning stages of our ExxonMobil case. If at some point it becomes clear that we're gonna to stand to recover millions, if not billions of dollars in this case, there should be a discussion about 
what it goes towards infrastructure right coastline remediation clean air clean water years from now how do we confront temperature changes how do we protect ourselves from extreme weather all those investments the cost going back and the cost of remediation going forward um need to be covered by this money the, the final thing i'll say about that is what this case gives me under the connecticut unfair trade practices act that other states don't have uh, under their theories is um disgorgement of profits hmm. and so uh i'm going to make the case and i'm going to show and i believe we're going to be successful in showing that exxon Mobil lied they made a lot of money off the line and that um the court should disgorge those profits. A last thing for you, different topic. Earlier this week, you joined uh, other states that are looking to limit price gouging in the wake of so much that has changed about our economy uh, since COVID and, and the shutdowns. What specifically are you seeing in terms of price gouging and what are you what are you hoping to do? <laughs> what are we not seeing? Hmm. Um, you know, price gouging really spiked at the beginning of um the COVID crisis in in March, April, and um, people's complaints about price gouging. It's so easy now when you walk into a store, if you see a couple of bottles of hand sanitizer for 30 bucks, you can snap a photo on your phone and and put it on my complaint, you know, line uh, at the attorney general's office. So we've been confronting that. And over time, that has has grown sort of to the the outer reaches or margins of price gouging and consumer abuse. So for example, people that had trouble getting their money back after they had to cancel wedding, people that had trouble, trouble with travel arrangements that they had to cancel, right? And we've done a lot of work there and recovered millions of dollars for people. Now we're, this week, the, what you're referring to this week is the very difficult task of confronting price gouging and unfair and deceptive acts and practices on online platforms, you know, like Amazon and, and Walmart.com and eBay, which apart from being retailers themselves, they're huge marketplaces, right? Where you have the individual resellers. And unfortunately there is an association of online re online retailers, right? Not Amazon itself, but the people that sell goods on those platforms. And, and many of these are either small, medium, or sometimes very large retailers, but they're, they're of various shapes and sizes. And, and they want us not to enforce price gouging laws online. And they want us not to take action when we see somebody selling a box of N95 masks for $500, which is a real case. So, of course, the answer is no. You know, we're going to take action to protect consumers here in Connecticut, and we're not going to apologize to you about it. You're trying to rip people off. That's not okay. We believe that you're trying to take advantage of people during a, a horrendous public health emergency that has completely upended our economy and changed our lives. And I'm going to do everything I can within my authority to protect the people of the state. Is this an Amazon problem? You know, we, it is an Amazon problem in that it's their problem, in that it's their platform. And I think it's a larger online retail, online commerce problem. Um, I will say that that um, the online platforms, the large ones, are fairly responsive when, 
when I or a coalition of attorneys general um, say something, complain, make a claim, you know, bring an investigation, they've been fairly responsive. Um, they're trying to catch up with the two. But at the end of the day, it's their problem. And we need them to take action, and we're going to hold them accountable if we don't think the action they take is sufficient. And this is about overturning a lower court's decision having to do with uh, this very type of complaint you're talking about. Right, correct. Well, William Tong, thank you so much for uh, spending some time talking with me about uh, Big Oil and your lawsuit and some other things thank as you. well. It's, it's good to see you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, happy to come on anytime. Thanks, John. For more great reporting on climate change, please go to ctmirror.org and find the stories by Jan Ellen Spiegel. She's got a lot of them about the impacts of climate on our state. Our steady beats are provided by George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson, and they were recorded at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. Jess Friedman helped produce the show. Thanks to Bruce Potterman, Kyle Constable, and Beth Hamilton. Coming up on Monday, look for another podcast, this time with Stanley Greenberg. He's been one of the leading Democratic pollsters for decades. And from his home in New Haven, he's been talking to Americans during the pandemic about what they care about this election cycle and what they're going to be voting on in November. I hope you can join us. And you know, if you subscribe to the podcast, it'll just show up in your feed. So please do that. We'll see you there.